0: Welcome Shalom. and welcome. Welcome
1: to Awakening Mindfulness. I am Rabbi Hasio Oriel Steinbauer, the founder and director of this amazing institute where we combine the synergy, the wisdom of two ancient traditions of Musar and Judaism and Theravada Buddhism, Buddhism, particularly mindfulness, and we create mindfulness Musar. Right, moosar our mindfulness. And so we are delighted to have you here. Uh, please allow yourselves to settle and arrive as we welcome people who are just showing up either on the zoom link or in our uh, live streaming. We're delighted to have you. So just take this moment to begin to welcome arriving, welcoming awareness, coming into this space. As we settle and arrive and begin to learn and practice together. I'm delighted to have you here. So I always announce what date this is, what week this is, what sitting it is. This is our tradition. We are in our seventh sitting, our seventh weekly Torah portion that we started in the Jewish New Year at 5783 and it was yesterday's uh, yesterday's uh, parsha and in yesterday's parsha we were in uh, vayeit and um, it was the, the date was the tet of kislev the 9th of kislev and december 3rd today obviously is sunday december 4th yud kislev the 10th of kislev we are delighted to have you here to really look at this Torah portion from the lens of Musar mindfulness, and see what we can practice and learn around this, and then jump into a guided mindfulness meditation practice. So hopefully you've had a chance to study and look at this Parsha, as is our tradition to do so the week before that Shabbat, that Sabbath. If you haven't, I always give a brief summary, and then I jump into our Nikudah, our very important point that we want to pay time and attention to. Before we begin, we always begin with our covenant, our intentions for today's practice. It's very important in our practice to have an intention because it helps us guide our practice so that we know actually uh, what is, what are we aiming for? What are we seeking to do here and get out of this? So you see before you, if you were watching by video, You see before you three covenants, three intentions that we say before every session. If you are listening on audio, I will be reading these. So if you're joining us on our podcast or in the Insight Timer eh, latest awakening, you will hear it here. So we say before doing acts of caring for the self, which we see this time together in this practice on Sundays at 1230 Eastern Standard Time that we are caring for the self. This is what we're doing. And we say, this is something I'm doing to strengthen my own soul in order to be of benefit to others in the future. Our practice is to care for ourselves so that we can be other oriented, to serve others and God. The second one is before doing acts for others, which we see this practice doing. This is something I'm doing to strengthen my relationship to others. So I can be a better conduit of God's good to others when they need me. And finally, our third Kavanah, excuse me, our third intention. Before doing acts to strengthen our relationship with the divine, which is what we're doing here also. This is something I'm doing to strengthen my relationship with the creator. So I can be a better conduit of God's good to others when they need me. So may we merit that we fulfill this uh, these kavanot today and our practice as we jump in together. Uh, I want to say that I'm uh, a, there's a whole uh, set of family and friends who are dedicating this learning today and even uh, next meetings to my lovely daughter, which some of you know will be celebrating becoming a bat mitzvah on Shabbat uh, coming up on Vaishlach. And um, so this this session and next are dedicated to this learning and honor of that. And I'm delighted to have you here to be able to engage in that and do that. Okay, our summary of Vayetze. I just wanna honor first, take a deep breath that if you really studied this Parsha and have been following along, this might be difficult. It might be starting to feel heavy. And that is okay if that is your experience. Why? Because um, we're getting into behavior of some of our ancestors that uh, is unethical, that we would feel is even immoral at times. And it touches our buttons, it pushes us. And this is part of the practice, is to... Recognize when we are uncomfortable or we're triggered by uh, behavior or the text. And then we uh, become aware of it and accept it. And then we practice around it. Okay. And that's what we're going to do today. I just want to start off by saying, you're not alone. I've had many students this week say, oh, you know, having a hard time with what's going on. So let's jump in. What are we having a hard time with? So, as a summary, Yaakov who, if you remember, is the second born in a twin a twin relationship in utero and his mother, Rivka. He's 17 years old. And if you might want to recall his unethical and behavior, he, along with his Ima, his mother, Rivka, it's actually mostly her responsibility, she dece- decides to deceive her blind husband in order to make sure that Yaakov receives the blessing that she thinks he should receive. So she has him dress up as his brother eh, with fur on his body from an animal. She has him um, give game give food that the father would like so that he feels uh, you know, eh, satiated so that he can bless his son. And she has her son lie to his father when the father says, uh, who are you? Like, who, who is this? Are you sure that you're Aesop? <laughs> this, this, this whole conversation ensues. It's quite painful to witness and watch, particularly because we have this concept that you don't put a stumbling block before the blind. And I can't think of a more stumbling block than deceiving the blind, not giving them the full honest picture of who's actually speaking and who's before them, right? That you're you're lying, you're not being honest about who you are. Okay. Uh, Yaakov has just done this act with his, uh, with his mother and his brother Esau comes home from actually hunting to bring home the food. His name is Esav. He is in so much pain and sadness and rage, anger, which is coming from the sadness that he was not blessed, right? Uh, not blessed first. Okay. That the blessing was kind of stolen from his language is used. His father says, He's come to deceive. So Yaakov, the mother hears over here is Aesop to give you this background, planning in his heart that he's going to kill his brother. Okay, obviously that's not the case as we know later on because 20 years later, he has the opportunity to do so and he doesn't. I want us to be aware that people say irrational things when they are completely hurt and angry. And Asav in that moment, I'm sure was in that state. Okay, so what happens? Yaakov has to flee. The mother says, you have to get, Rivka says, you have to leave, go to my brother, your uncle, go head north so that I don't lose both of you in one day. That's what she says. That's her language. She doesn't want them to fight Asav and potentially one kill one or one kill both or have that work out. Okay, so she says, you need to flee. You need to leave uh, and go to Levan, my brother, your uncle, okay? So Yaakov, uh, just as a summary, uh, starts heading by himself, a 17-year-old, all by himself, it seems, kind of exiled in a sense. It ends up being totally afraid and alone in the land. The sun goes down. He needs to sleep. He ends up dreaming of a sulam, a ladder where up and down, going at the, on the ladder are angels going up and down. And even a Hashem, God, is standing either upon him or upon the ladder or next to him. The language is ambiguous and basically tells Yaakov in that moment that I'm here with you. I'm here to protect you. That your descendants and you are going to inherit this land. That you indeed are going to be the third patriarch. Okay, he hears this. He has this in a dream. The seventeen-year-old wakes up, an absolute shock at the experience. He can't believe it. He said, "I didn't even. I didn't know God was in this place." Uh, it's it's actually quite a really touchy and beautiful moment. It's also surprising. We'll t- we'll touch upon that. Okay, so he has this dream and the boy, the seventh year old, that moment feels much lighter on his feet. He feels I'm being watched. I'm being protected. He gets up, like she says, he lifts his feet, which is not the language usually for someone who eh, starts walking on his path to head north to his uncles. So he heads up, he continues on his journey. He finally meets Rachel at the well. He doesn't even know that he's arrived in the location. Uh, where his uncle lives, and he ends up meeting Rachel, which is Levan's second-born daughter, the younger daughter, okay? So it's a similar position of Yaakov, Rachel versus Esav, and Leah, who the eldest is, who's the older one, and who's the younger, right? Although uh, Rachel and uh, Leah are not twins, There's just an older and a younger. So um, he meets her, He's so relieved that he's run into a relative. That's a sign that he's arrived. Uh, There's a, a great introduction between them. She brings him home and he meets Levan, of course, her father, his uncle, who, you know, at the beginning really greets him well and is excited to see him. You might recall Levan is essentially the patriarch, even though it should have been his father, Nahor, who greeted uh, uh avraham's servant a while ago who came to find a wife for yitzhak who ended up being rivka right the sister of Lavan, and so uh, you have this levan who has this history with the avraham and his family okay uh, he, he he knows them and, and is aware of them so um He ends up, uh, the the summary of the story is Yaakov ends up staying much longer than he planned. With Levan, he literally thought he was going to go for a short time until his brother's temper calmed down and his mother would call back for him. Sadly enough, the, the mother who sends him away in all her scheming and planning and deception, she says, you know, I don't want to lose you both in one day. I'm sending you away and I'll call for you. When his anger calms down, she actually passes away before her son ever gets to see her again and we have this betui this idiom that we say in 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 jewish culture and in hebrew that uh, man plans and god laughs and so here is a case where i don't think god's laughing but this case where the mother was really trying to plan and control something and when we attach ourselves to an outcome so much there often ends up being suffering because of the, 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 the attachment and control. So Yaakov ends up serving essentially almost as an indentured servant. He's definitely an indentured laborer. He gets hired by his uncle for seven years to marry one of the daughters. He, he thinks he's going to marry Raphael. <laughs> That's his first choice. Uh, the younger one, uh, he ends up being deceived by Levan who hides and lies and has Leah be the one who marries him first um he's shocked at the deception he can't believe it and it is levon who reminds him through very specific language that uh, the culture is that you don't do things for the younger before the elder then the elder the eldest gets married first the eldest receives therefore it's like, it's like the signal to wake up to yaakov yeah you, you don't get the birthright, you don't get the blessing, but you took in the dis- in deception and here you're being deceived. Okay. It's this family culture of habitual deception and it's not healthy. And we're going to see this outcome of it. Okay. So he ends up saying, all right, I'm, I'm going to work seven more years for you to marry Rachel. He marries her a week later. He's now married to two women who are sisters, which we both know in Jewish law ends up being not acceptable. You can't marry, I mean, nobody marries more than one woman now, but it used to be you can't even marry some, somebody's sister, right? And so he marries her, um, he ends up actually marrying their concubines too, has many children, has 11 sons and one daughter, uh, another son later on, obviously, uh, that's later on in the next week's Parsha, uh, but basically what happens is um, Levan has uh, keeps uh, having conflict with uh, Yaakov, uh, and the, the 17-year-old boy begins to grow up uh, almost because he has to. It's like that emergency situation where he's serving now as this indenture laborer, and uh, he's forced to work uh, for this bride price of both women. And um, he, he learns, you know, we say in Musar practice, Musar mindfulness, that you can practice on your own daily so you can be prepared for what life sends you, all the stimuli, right? All the both positive and negative or unpleasant and pleasant situations in life, or life can bump into you, right? Things can happen and they will cause you to either sink or swim. They will cause you to have to grow and change. And that's what we witness here with Yaakov. He's a 17 year old boy. Life gets thrown at him. He's kind of this sink or swim. He swims. He does the best he can. Um, he makes mistakes along the way. He's our very human ancestor that gets recorded in the Torah, right? And very... Uh, um. flawed like uh, most of us like a human being right um but in that flaw can be where we are triggered because uh, a lot of people expect the patriarchs and the ancestors to be like angelic like perfect people who uh, don't aren't human and don't make mistakes and this is clearly not what we're seeing here so if you notice that when you're studying reading these parshas that you're having a hard time with who selected to be, you know, th- that which uh, passes on uh, and ends up creating uh, the people, the Jewish people, as we know, it, 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 you're not alone. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge thing. So what happens? Levan and Yaakov have this uh, conflict throughout the whole 20 years of labor. He ends up doing not 14 years, an additional six. He, they uh, kind of deceive and manipulate one another until finally, we know this, Yaakov has a hard time with conflict, like most of us, Uh, rather than face a conflict and communicate openly with someone, his habitual behavior is to run away, is to flee, like he did with his brother and his father. The same thing happens with Levon. He tries once to request to leave, he asks for permission to leave uh, Levon's not having it, Levon and manipulates him, in, uh, to stay. So finally, Yaakov, uh, now a grown man, uh, 37 years old with, you know, large family, uh, many wives, he, he leaves, he, he, he meets with his, two, uh, the two primary wives and gets their permission to escape and leave. So this is the background, uh, Levon finally actually chases them, um, he, he, You can tell he had the intention to do him harm because it actually took God, Hashem, to come to him in a dream and say, don't do any harm or good to him. Like, don't touch Yaakov. And so when he shows up, he says, I had it in mind to do this to you, X, Y, Z, but your God told me not to do anything, and so I'm not going to. Um, but it was really a difficult uh, conflict and confirmation uh, that Yaakov actually blew up. He finally has his moment of rage. It, he He's so sick of Levon's deception and behavior that he blows up. And we suddenly learn of all these injustices that have been bottling up in Yaakov because he doesn't have, he has a very hard time being balanced and managing conflict and his midot around it, he, right? He's someone that is not balanced in humility. He doesn't know how to take up his proper amount of space. Um, So there's these extremes that happen, right? And um, so what we witness is him blowing up. They finally are able to come to some breit, a covenant that they will have reconciliation and separate. It's like a ceasefire. They agree not to cross each other's boundaries or lines. If you notice in these reconciliations and ceasefires, there's never really a teshuva. There's never really... Uh, a full repentance and healing that people can actually get along and live together. Instead, they agree to live separately in peace. Okay. This is what we're witnessing. So uh, this is the background of this Parsha. And what I want to focus on here is just the paradox that is given to Yaakov from God, when God speaks to him, who we're dealing with here and what that triggers in us. Okay. So the 17-year-old boy, I want to go back to when he um, is on his own. He ends up having to go to sleep on a rock in the middle of nowhere that he thinks is nowhere, right? And the, the boy essentially is heading north to northern uh, Mesopotamia. He was located at the beginning in southern Canaan. It's a very long journey, okay? Okay. And his character is going to be tested um, and his personality molded and transformed by experience over time. All right. So he's um, God essentially speaks to him in this uh, in this dream. And as I said earlier, he is uh, God assures him of the continuity of the generation that Yaakov is to become the third patriarch. Uh, but what the paradox is he's told that he's going to inherit this land with his uh, descendants and the paradox is the boy is about to be exiled from the land so here he's being told he's going to have this land and his descendants and then he's he's exiled he has to go out he has to flee and run away and so uh the title is affirmed but um there's something really odd there. There's also something, if you pay close attention to how God speaks to him, it's the first time that God promises to anyone, but particularly to one of the patriarchs, the ancestors, he, he promises to be there with him and protect him. And so, of course, in our mind, of course the 17 year old needs to hear this. They're alone in the middle of nowhere. And and that's it's very frightening. He's also fleeing someone that's so angry at him he wants to kill him. He's fleeing to a brother that I'm sure he's heard about from Rivka, right, his mother. So this is what he's given, and here's this paradox we're going to hold. So he's the first ancestor to also to exhibit any surprise at his initial experience of God, right? God's sudden uh, uh, revelation comes, and he's surprised. Right, he's like, I didn't know God was here. What's going on? Let's remember, he's seventeen when Abraham encounters God and is told to leave his homeland, leave his country, leave his father's house. He was seventy-five years old when Yitzhak encounters God and has finally that conversation with him of who he's going to be and what he's going to inherit. He's at least forty. Okay, so we're dealing with a child still, and. I think we need to honor that—that uh, that that's very uh, part of the story. Um, I think people forget that when they're when they're looking at Yaakov. All right. Um, so the paradoxes, if I will continue, is that um, he basically asks for all that he's already been promised. So God promises him certain things, and then he comes back and he asks for them again. It's almost as if he's saying. I either don't trust fully, I'm too afraid, I don't know, this is a new relationship, it, but it's clearly there. And, and he doesn't really understand how this relationship with God works in some ways. It's This is part of his trial and his growth. Um, but the other paradox is here, he's the one to have received the blessing from his Abba, from his father, Etzah, where he w- was told that his brother's Uh, like Esav and his brothers would serve him and that they would bow to him. This is part of the whole bracha, the whole blessing. And this is the paradox. If you pay close attention in this parsha, who is the person who actually serves others? It's, It's Yaakov. He serves as an indentured laborer to Levan. He ends up like, uh, claiming to Esau when he is finally uh, reuniting with him when he's 37, he keeps calling himself uh, your slave, your servant. I am your servant. I am your slave over and over again. And he bows. He bows seven times, complete, full prostration to the ground in order to meet Esau. So here's the paradox. Here's the 17-year-old boy who went to great lengths with his mother, probably deeply uncomfortably, to steal the blessing that he's supposed to be the one that receives all this, right? He's going to receive Avraham, who passed away, his grandfather, all that wealth that was passed to Yitzhak. It'll be passed to him, the double portion, as the birthright, as the firstborn, even though he wasn't. And he receives this blessing of all this. And here, it's not the case in his real experience in his life. And so we live with that paradox. We're like, what's going on here? What is going on here? And I'm not saying there's a simple or easier answer, and maybe there shouldn't be. It's just for us to acknowledge that even in our own lives, if you feel that you, uh, you know, have a strong relationship with the divine and you feel that you have a purpose and you're here and you know what you're doing, that there's an element of so much we don't know. And that's part of our own humility to be open that we can try to be agents, we can try to serve, but really there's just so much unknown, and it might be not might, it might not, it might be not only about us, obviously. Like if Yaakov is promised this for future descendants and he's going to be established as a third patriarch, then it's obviously larger than him. Okay. So I finally want to go on to say uh, before we move into our practice more, there was a couple of more things I wanted to touch base with you, which is essentially, um, I, I said he was a boy. Okay, the language I want to pay very close attention to uh, when he was 17 and he arrives at the place, right? Um, the language is so important in the Hebrew. Uh, he goes right here. Okay, so we're on chapter 28. We are on the 11th verse, okay? Yud Aleph. It says right here, Vahif Gaba Makom, okay? That he, it gets translated in English that he arrived at this place, but Vahiga means that he bumped into, and not only bumped into, that Makom, the place, actually bumps into him. The language used to understand that verb, um, is that the place itself kind of runs into him. And if you know anything about the language Hamakom, we know in Hebrew that Hamakom is also one of the names of the divine of God, okay? So we're kind of wondering, is this God bumping into him? Is this the place? Because the place is also holy. Uh, As we know, this is going to be this portal of this uh, ladder of angels going up and down. And God's obviously standing there and communicating to him a, it, it, it's, it's a special place. Obviously he it's something he has to learn, but it is, he's bumped into it. All right. And so that's the first Remember, I told you, he's someone who is, is going to have life happen to him. And then he's going to have to learn to pivot. All right. So here's, here's the next part where he gets bumped into what's the language used. It's unbelievable is that once he realizes that God's in this place, he actually does this beautiful thing where he um, says, I didn't know God was here. And um, he finds this place terrifying, but in that terrifying way that is both awe and fear, what we call Yira, like, right? He says, how terrible, how frightening, how amazing, all that combined together is this place. And he suddenly has tons of energy the language actually used is Vaisa Yaakov Reglav. R'g- he picks up his feet. Who picks up their feet when they're <laughs> they're going to go walk on their journey? He, the boy, the 70-year-old is so uh, choleric in some ways, so excited, right, that he now has a lift. Uh, he, he finds the going, the journey easier. He feels protected. He feels seen. Um, his feet are directed. He has resolve. He has confidence, right? Um, there's something really strong going on here. Now, you have to remember the boy at first was fleeing. He's terrified. It, it was all a reactivity. It was like get get out to save your life. And now he feels he has another purpose. It's not only get out to get your life and he's supposedly going up to also find a spouse, but he suddenly has this new relationship with the divine and new information, and he he's energized by that, okay? So, uh, the last thing about bumping into that I'll say is, you know, we know this from looking at this whole Parshan story that Yaakov, as I said earlier, someone who doesn't, uh, who bottles up his anger, his, uh, his feeling of injustice, right? He feeling what done has done to him. He practices a lot of silence in reaction or response to things done to him or around him. And um, essentially um When it comes down to the last part, when we're looking at uh, chapter 31, verses 36 through 43, where he has this uh, counter charges, right, against Levan, uh, 20 years of suppressed anger at the basically kind of abuse and mistreatment, find expression, right? He has this impassioned outpouring of what we might call righteous indignation, right? it gives us a, le- a lens as the, the witnesses into his life of this kind of hard life of trials and tribulations that he endured that maybe we weren't so aware of until this moment but we also have to look at the poor boy's behavior and he's not a poor boy anymore right he's uh, 37 he has his imbalances he doesn't manage anger well he has a fear of conflict, which is part of the anger thing. Um, And, and, you know, in some ways we have to have compassion and try to understand why he's coming from a culture and it still exists today, unfortunately, where there's a lot of male on male violence, right? If we think about wars and uh, other things that go on, he's, uh, you um, you know, first he has a grandfather who's commanded to sacrifice his own father, Yitzhak. Uh, that's a form of male unveiled violence. We don't see it that way because we see God as commanding it. But that had the potential, right? of really uh, having, well, first of all, Yaakov wouldn't even be alive, right? So there's that 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 history, right? If we're going to look at kind of trauma and then resilience. And then Yaakov uh, obviously does this deception to his father and brother. Um, and even earlier with his uh, with Aesop not feeding him unless he sells his uh, birthright, there's a lot of um, kind of uh, violence, but a lower level of violence then, right? And at each other. And then finally, uh, he has to flee the potential violence of his brother who might want to kill him in response to what's going on. So then he answers this household with another male, another patriarch, who is... Um, obviously uh, abusive and does mistreatment and deceives, right? And so he has to navigate around that and, and slowly grow into a man around that as his model, okay? His first model was a blind aging father who essentially ignored him and favored his brother because he brought him game and food. It actually says in the Torah that Yitzhak loved Esav because he brought him game to eat, Okay, so this is a boy who didn't feel necessarily loved or seen by his father, enters a household with an uncle who is overbearing and um, unpleasant and unethical, and then it has to kind of learn and navigate what does it mean to be a man that I'm not going to perpetuate this violence, right, or this fear of violence. Um, Obviously, we'll see what's coming, unfortunately, with 11 of his sons Oh it's heavy. It's very heavy, right? of what's going on in these parashiots. okay? So I'm just going to close um, with saying that um, the one positive thing I want to point out about Yaakov is his ability in that moment at 17 to say I didn't know the words coming from his lips, I don't know. It's so important in, in our Musar mindfulness practice to be able to be humble enough to say, I don't know. So he actually says to himself, God is here in this place and I didn't know. You know, it could have gone the other way. He could have pretend that he knew, right? Or he could have been like, I don't believe this. I'm not listening to this. There's lots of different um, reactions that could have happened. But there's something very powerful when the human being can, when can we experience God, the divine, Hashem being closest to us? It's when we can say, I don't know, right? It's when we um, don't pretend wisdom and insight into either a situation or experience that we're open to the embodied experience of it. And if anyone has to live that way, it's Yaakov. He is so much someone who um, only learns through uh, experience and what is thrown at him. So with that, uh, let's move into our guided practice. I will lead us in a guided mindfulness meditation practice where we're going to do something special today and uh, look through the practices of what we call RAIN, R-A-I-N, of how we might be triggered or not. So I invite you now to assume one of the meditative postures. It could be lying down, it can be sitting, it can be walking meditation, and it can be um, standing. Whatever is most comfortable for you, what is safest. If you are going to sit, I invite you to really firm your, uh, ground your feet into the ground really hold them there and feel them you can even move your toes right now like this to know that you are here you're between heaven and earth it's like we're with that sulam that ladder of yaakov right now and we're we're somewhere in between the ladder we're noticing these angels going up and down we want to be here we want to be present so with that i invite you to close your eyes if you have vision otherwise if you don't feel safe enough or you don't have vision. You can just uh, lower your gaze, and, and we're going to start with three deep cleansing breaths. Inhalation, inviting
0: and in ease. Exhalation, arriving slowly. Inhalation, inviting compassion. And exhalation beginning to really settle and arrive letting go of all
1: tension. And our last great inhalation, the gift of
0: oxygen and exhalation. I invite you to invite awareness.
1: You can quietly Verbally say that to yourself. I'm inviting awareness. I'm inviting being
0: here, right here, right now in the present moment. You'll allow your breath to fall to its own natural rhythm. We're going to take this first few minutes
1: to really just be here in silence and offering
0: an accepted, accepting open-hearted presence. Allow whatever primary emotion
1: is activated inside of you, allow it to be here, recognize it. So for some of you, There might be a primary emotion and reaction or response to this parsha, to this Torah portion, to Yaakov, maybe to my sharing, or maybe whatever primary emotion is for you right now, it might be just something else that's going on in your own life.
0: Sitting with this and recognizing it in silence. allowing yourself to recognize whatever your situation is, to get in
1: touch with the most challenging part of whatever is happening with you,
0: whether it be emotions, sensations in the body, or thoughts, the storytelling that we can begin to get entranced in What is the primary emotion or thought or sensation that is activated in you right here and right now? Bring your loving and wise, compassionate attention to whatever
1: feels most difficult and whatever you have recognized.
0: And this time with the intention of fully letting it be. Allowing is the willingness to pause, to stay present with the life that is here just as it is. Allowing difficult emotions
1: or even thoughts or sensations to be present
0: requires gentleness and tenderness. You can gently say to yourself, this too. Yes, I can hold this. This is about opening to our experience, even when it is painful or uncomfortable or unpleasant. We move into inquiring our felt sense of our experience. We
1: want to move from a cognitive analytical process out of our head, out of our brain, into the felt experience. And while your stories and beliefs can be a portal to this experience, we want to direct our attention
0: to the body, to the felt sense and sensations of where we feel most vulnerable. Bring an interested and kind attention to your experience. I will offer you the following questions to help you in your investigation. What is the worst part of this? What most wants your attention? What difficult or painful thing are you believing? What emotions does this bring up, such as fear or anger or grief? Where do I feel the emotions inside? What is the actual felt sense of these emotions as sensations, such as clenched, raw, hot, sore, aching, empty, squeezed. Allow yourself to assume the facial
1: expression and body posture that reflect the feelings and emotions. You can curl
0: down,
1: make faces. Don't worry. No one's looking at you. assume the posture for just
0: one minute of how it feels inside. As we transition to our nurturing and our non-identification, we stay connected with the vulnerable experience inside. Know that we are asking and listening from compassionate presence. If the most vulnerable part of you could communicate, what would it express? Words, feelings, images. How does this part want you to be with it? What does this part most need? from you or from some larger source of love and wisdom. Take
1: this time now to breathe consciously and adjust your posture in a way that helps you fully contact your most awake heart and your wise spirit, what we
0: sometimes call the high or future self. Call on any wise or compassionate
1: being if you cannot turn to yourself right now whose wisdom
0: and love you trust. It can be a friend, family member. It can be God. It can be a pet, a teacher, a spiritual figure. Offered inwardly now the love The acceptance, the forgiveness, the compassion, the protection that the vulnerable part of you needs right now. Feel free to extend care through touch if you need to touch your chest or hold your face or even imagery of seeing your inner child surrounded by light. As we complete this nurturing and
1: non-identification, sense if there's a message that your most awake and
0: wise heart will be helpful for you to remember. Allow yourself to experience the awareness of what might have shifted for you when you began this meditation practice today. What did you experience or learn about yourself that you want to remember? And when you are ready, you can gently and slowly open your eyes if they were closed
1: to come back into this shared sacred Zoom space and on live streaming together on our YouTube channel and Facebook and LinkedIn and here on Zoom. Welcome. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for your sponsorships and donations to allow us to provide and offer this awakening each week with our community and to the world at large so that we practice and learn from Musar mindfulness together. I'm Rabbi Chassia, the founder and director of the Institute for Holiness, Kehilat Musar. Thank you today. I look forward to seeing you. Next Sunday,
0: Bezvat Hashem at twelve thirty Eastern Standard Time. Take care of yourselves. Thank you again.